Welcome to the Pair Program from Hatchpad, the podcast that gives you a front row seat to candid conversations with tech leaders from the startup world. I'm your host, Tim Winkler, the creator of Hatchpad. And I'm your other host, Mike Ruin. Join us each episode as we bring together two guests to dissect topics at the intersection of technology, startups, and career growth. So what's up, everyone? We are back for another episode of The Pair Program. I am your host, Tim Winkler, uh, accompanied by my co-host, Mike Gruen. Mike, what's going on? Not much. I'm doing all right. How are you doing? I'm good. Good. Are you excited that uh, Elon Musk is now the owner of Twitter? Excited. <laughs> did, you, uh, did, you guys, um, did you guys see that uh, the video he posted that carrying the, carrying the sink into the... Yeah. I, I was there like a joke I missed there. Why was he carrying a sink? He basically it. said, you can't help but let that sink in. That was, uh, that oh. was his, uh, that was that's his joke. Ter- that's, that's, that's terrible. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be honest. I think I've only followed the memes of Elon buying Twitter. I don't know if I'm actually up to date on the news. <laughs> yeah. That's on my to do list later. <laughs> kind of converge, you know, there's no, of- <laughs> right, right. Um, cool. Well, let's, um, let's give the listeners a quick heads up on today's episode. So this is a, the second episode of a mini series that we're calling, you know, from Fang to founder. Um, within this episode, we're going to be talking to, uh, startup founders who've previously worked for, you know, big tech companies like Facebook or Square and, um, getting some insight into, you know, what translates over into startup world or, or what doesn't translate at all. Um, so we've got two great guests joining us today, both of which have worked in numerous environments that span you know, large and small. I'm confident they'll bring some, some great insight perspective to our discussion. So Tomas, Yasif, thanks for spending time with us on the Pair Program. Thanks for having us. For sure. All right. Uh, so before we dive into the discussion, we do kick things off the fun segment called Pair Me Up. Um, here's where we're going to go around the room. Shout out a complimentary pairing. Mike, you always tee us off. So uh, what, do, what do you got for us today? So today I'm going with uh, software engineers and free swag because uh, it's <laughs> just what you do. My entire wardrobe, as people who watch the podcast know, is based on <laughs> free swag. So true. I feel like companies are getting pretty creative with swag, though. Like it's not, you know, they're 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 trying to stay modern with some of it. Is there any like a, a piece of swag that you'd say is like? I have a deck of cards. A uh, pack of cigarettes. No, no, deck of cards. Um, <laughs> deck of a, cards. Uh, giant like water bottle. Um, like a good one, like a. Um, nice. Like a Yeti type, like nice, but like heavy duty, even bigger. Um, I don't know. I dig I don't it. really I, care. We, we well, send, I, I just like the t-shirts and the and the sweatshirts. Like, yeah, everything else just I, ends I up eventually things. going in the trash. <laughs> yeah, it's like I go through where it's like uh, I have a bunch of like free swag, and then someone convinces me I should wear better clothing, <laughs> but then companies come up with better swag, so mm-hmm. it's like constant race, right? Like Mike, how soft is that hat shirt? I mean, this shirt is nice. It's very yeah. comfortable. Um, I don't yeah. get to wear it on the podcast that often because usually I'm just wearing it, you know. <laughs> yeah, we we send every every engineer <laughs> that we place a swag pack, so they always get a shirt. And uh, one of my in laws saw one in the wild at like a Wegman's and took a picture. I was like, Oh, that's awesome! That's yeah, that's pretty cool. Awesome. The, the socks um, are nice too, although nobody gets to see them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, socks are cool. Have you seen any graphite flag in the wild yet? Have I seen graphite swag in the wild? Yeah, I have not. I mean, 
I, it's still small enough that I know everyone at the company. And so I feel our best swag is employees only. And you kind of yeah. you know it when you see one of your coworkers. Um, <laughs> and then, uh, <laughs> I think it'd be weirder if I was like, whoa, cool, grab my swag. Who are you? Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, no, nothing. Yeah, it's, it's hard to stay on top of swag, though. We keep trying to think of like, what can we do that would be creative and exciting for people? Mm-hmm. Because I feel almost every item that you can do swag about has been done at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, the magic eight balls are pretty, pretty creative. That one we did. We did. Uh, so, I mean, we'll get into this, I'm sure. We do code review. And so we did a magic eight ball for possible answers to code review. Oh, of funny. Like, looks good to me. Like, uh, <laughs> who's on call? Things like that. It which, works uh, on my machine. like that a lot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It works locally. Um, it's, uh, things like that. That's funny. Um, swag up actually we'll, we'll plug them we, we use them as a as a vendor and they they kind of crush it in terms of like giving you ideas uh in different sectors so um cool, cool. well uh we, we aren't here to just talk swag today um we, we we will get into our topic first i'll i'll jump into my pairing so my pairing is going to be kitchen renovations and takeout uh so my wife and i were renovating our kitchen currently it's a pretty pretty massive undertaking at this point uh tearing down some walls new appliances cabinets the whole the whole deal uh and so like throughout this process we've been one we 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 lived in an airbnb for a week during the demo um and now we're back in the house but we're about two weeks away from the the kitchen actually being functional so we've pretty much been living on grubhub uh and takeout for the for the last 10 days and we'll be for the next couple weeks but i mean it's not a terrible thing but you do eventually miss those those home cooked meals well, not the healthiest uh, stint that I'm on, but uh, yeah, I'll do kitchen renos and takeout. I'll be honest. I think there are a lot of software engineers that probably also live on Grubhub who are not having their kitchen renovated. Um, <laughs> sure. but, <laughs> it's a good but, uh, point. <laughs> software engineers and Grubhub, that's the other uh, <laughs> that's the uh, one. Cool. Let's, uh, yeah, let's pass it to, uh, to our guest and um, you know, get their quick intro and, uh, and their pairing. So uh, uh, Tomas, why don't you kick it off first? Hi, everyone. My name is Tomas. I'm one of the co-founders of Graphite. Graphite's a code review company here based in New York. Uh, my pairing for you all, I think, is going to be fall weather and hot apple cider. Uh, we are having some beautiful, beautiful fall days right now, and I am constantly going out and finding new hot apple cider joints, which is That's very awesome. fun. Yeah. You got to pair that with a cinnamon donut. That's my... That's yes, you that. yeah. <laughs> and maybe a splash <laughs> of bourbon in the cider. That's you know, nine a.m. hot apple cider <laughs> bourbon. That's <laughs> the um, No, that's more of an eight thirty a.m. That's yeah. <laughs> um, uh, good stuff. Yeah, that's that's solid, man. Um, uh, Yasef, how about yourself? I've been on an ice cream kick recently. I've been like trying all the different ice cream spots around San Francisco. And um, my favorite flavor I've tried so far has been saffron ice cream. So I'm going to go with saffron and ice cream. Oh, it's interesting. An unexpected one was pretty good. Yeah. You just bypassed an intro. We don't really need to hear the intro. Just talk about saffron oh, and ice yes. cream. That's great. I mean, ice cream is obviously much more important. <laughs> um, but the less important part, uh, I'm Yasef. I've been the founder of a few different companies, um, most recently a company called Sim. Uh, we're building an automation tool for security engineering teams. Nice. Awesome. Um, yeah, so I'll, I'm going to uh, jump into uh, our, our intro here. So like, as I mentioned, we're going to be talking about from you know, Fang to founder, and uh, we strategically chose you know, both of our guests kind of given their diverse experience. Um, I'm just going to jump into this, uh, start with you first, uh, Tomas, if you want to 
Let me shed a little bit more light for our listeners on kind of like your journey uh, up to your current role as as a founder of Graphite, and um, and what were some of those things that you you know as you're making that transition from a larger environment like Facebook to Graphite, uh, and then we'll we'll uh, dive into your experience, Yasif. Yeah, um, happy to. So my name's Tomas. As I said before, this as so before Graphite, I was at Facebook. I was there for three years. I actually. I think I have a different path than a lot of startup founders. If I actually love Facebook, I guess now Meta, although I, I never worked there while it was called that. Um, I, I had a great time there. I originally went there not at all expecting that I would enjoy it. Um, I, I was sort of was like, you know, I really need to go learn how to do software engineering. I think Facebook would be a wonderful place to have, have an internship. I'll go there and then maybe one day do a startup because I know I was always interested in sort of like, what impact could you have? And, and that was exciting. Um, I went to Facebook. I really loved it there. I love the people I worked with. I love the technology I worked on. I love the problems I got to solve. I worked on internal product infrastructure. So figuring out how to accelerate product development, which is just a, a passion area of mine. Um, I thought I was going to stay there for a long time, honestly. I, I think that like uh, within that first year, I, I remember so distinctly when I joined the company, I put on my calendar, like at, 11 months, like give notice, 12 months, like leave the company, 13 months. Why are you still here if you are? Um, and I, and I just, I blew past all of those. Um, and I remember when it happened, I remember, uh, on my, uh, two year face anniversary, which is Facebook celebrates your like one anniversary of the company two year, my manager wrote me a card being like, I did not think we would get here. Like, I, I am so surprised that we have managed to keep you this long. Um, I loved it there, but what ultimately pulled me out was, uh, Marilyn Greg. So, I am one of three co-founders. Uh, the three of us chose to start Graphite March 6th of 2020. Um, awful timing. We can talk about that at any point. Um, it was about seven days before a, a global pandemic was declared. Oh, wow. um, for those of you that, that don't know that. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I remember it was of, of all times to leave. It was, it was definitely an interesting one. Uh, uh, it was them that pulled me out. So I think they, they were two close friends from college. Greg and I had been sort of project partners in every class in, in school. And so uh, we programmed operating systems together, graphics together, pick, pick it, compilers, functional programming, doesn't really matter. Um, Merrill was a few years older than us. So he had gone through YC. He had dropped out of Harvard to go through YC, uh, exited his company, um, came back to finish his degree, and he was always more of a mentor figure. So he, he was uh, more plugged into venture and startups, uh, just given that background. And he was the one who sort of like taught Greg and I the, the way, so to speak. Mm -hmm. So he was like, oh, like, this is how venture works. This is how startups work. And so uh, we, we had stayed close as, as we left college, moved to New York, uh, worked at various tech companies. And I think when they were like, yeah, we're going to do a startup, I was like, this is, this is not an opportunity I can miss. This is, this is a story that, that I'm excited to be a part of. And so I made the choice to leave. Uh, and it, it was interesting. I had known, for me, I think the journey was, I'd known I wanted to go to startup. I went to Facebook. I was like, well, maybe, like, maybe I could see myself staying here for a while. And then it, it was ultimately them that pulled me back out. Hmm. So your other two co-founders, they didn't work at Facebook with you, but you knew them through college? Exactly right. Okay. So Greg uh, graduated college, went to Airbnb. Uh, he was on their infrastructure team for quite some time. Uh, he read notifications there, which is very impressive. Wow. Meryl, uh, after after school, he um, after so after his company got acquired, he went to Square for a hot second. Uh, enjoyed it. Eventually, decided to finish his degree. 
um, went to Oscar in New York following some old coworkers who he really liked. And then after Oscar, he worked at a handful of startups here while he, he, he wasn't as sure whether he was going to found again versus just to be early in that journey. Um, and honestly, I think it took, uh, it took some convincing to be like, yeah, this is, this is right time, right place, right team to, to go and take the leap again, because it's definitely a scary thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, you, you had alluded to this in our intro call, uh, a month ago about, you know, when, you know, it's, it's the right time to leave. Um, so you were at Facebook, you said for about three years, and do mm -hmm. you think that that timing was kind of dictated based on, um, you know, the, the startup idea had kind of like, you had finally felt like it was, it was ready to, to make that leap or, or you were just like, Hey, you know, I've kind of put in my time at Facebook. I'm, I'm, I'm now, I need to do something different. Uh, was there like an in-between space there or were you with Facebook up until that very last day and first day that you started Graphite? I'll be totally honest. I think that there is a real chance if those two hadn't started a company, I'd still be at Facebook. I, I quite enjoyed my time there. I, I know they've gone through some tough times recently, but I, I really enjoyed the people more than anything there. My old team and I are still friends. We still hang out. Um, I, uh, I, I'll, I'll echo a piece of startup wisdom that I've heard, which is that for an early stage startup, you're looking for some amount of uh, idea team and market. And I think that for us, what we had there was, I, I felt so strongly in the team that I was willing to forgo the other two. I was like, this team is going to do something exciting. I want to be a part of this. Um, the, the idea and market, I think that we had some, in retrospect, we had some work to do there. But for me, it was really the team that was like, yeah, this, this makes it time to leave. Mm -hmm. Cool. Um... I, I I think what's also interesting about your journey is, you know, the the startup that you're you're leading at Graphite and the, and the product that you're building. This was, uh, you know, a lot of what what inspired this was some of the work that you're doing at Facebook. Is that accurate? Yeah, yeah. So I mean, that that's the story up until March 2020. So we leave March 2020 and we start working on uh, mobile release tooling. We had a theory that, you know, if you look at the biggest companies, you see a whole lot of spend on things like QA. And if you look at the smallest companies, you see none of it. And there isn't really an incremental path. It seems like at one point, the switch flips and then people just start spending a lot here. Mm -hmm. And that felt like a place where, you know, we can help make higher quality software. And so uh, we started building it. Back then, the company was called Screenplay. Uh, I was fortunate enough to hire two of my old coworkers. Uh, what was really interesting was when they joined, uh, they felt something which I had felt as well, which was, you know, we missed Facebook's internal tooling. It's not quite like, I'm not going to go ahead and say Facebook's internal tooling is better than uh, the tooling we have out here in the wild. It's certainly different. But I think just the comparison got us to be much more thoughtful around things like code review, where I think a lot of people out, out in the wild, I'll say, outside right. of a big company, uh, look at code review and they're like, oh, GitHub does that. So like, I, I think that's, I think that's all we need. And I think for us coming from Facebook, we were like, you know, like there's so much in this workflow that doesn't make sense, doesn't work for us, could be iterated on, et cetera. And so we started to, uh, we started to build this out internally ourselves. We, we just built like scripts. Eventually we built the web dashboard. Uh, we had a CLI, which was the first, first version of Graphite, so to speak. Cool. Um, it was then uh, it was our old colleagues that eventually I think a lot of them had a similar experience. They had been at Facebook. They'd seen different tooling. They're like, hey, how are people doing like adjusting to this? A lot of our experience wasn't so unique. Um, 
And we were like, oh, like we built a thing for this. Does anyone want it? And the the response we got was like, yes, absolutely. Like I, I, I definitely need this. What can we do? And at the time we were working on a different company, right? Uh, it, same, same corporate entity, but different product. And we were like, oh, you know, we have like a different product. Go use that one. This is not, this is not meant for other people to use it. It was at the time it was hard coded with our repo names, hard coded with our usernames. The idea of isolation wasn't really there. It was an internal tool. Um, and uh, we had enough people tell us like, no, 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 this is a thing we need that in August of 2021, we decided to be like, okay, let's do an experiment here. Let's, let's just see what happens. We'll take 20 people into a beta uh, and we'll figure out how to make our, our very janky system work with, work with, they did, with whatever they had. Um, what was crazy to me was who we, one, how many people we got to sign up. So we got like 38 very thoughtful responses being like, no, no, I, I need to be a part of this beta. Like I have been struggling with pooling since I left uh, primarily Facebook. We started in a Facebook alumni group was where we made this posting. Um, I, I think I can do, I think that better does exist. Uh, I really want access to your tool because it, it looks like the right thing. And so uh, we got 38 of those like emails we were, or messages in general. We were like, fine, we we're planning for 20. We'll take 38. Um, that was August. That 38 grew to 60 some pretty naturally. So it, we didn't try to grow the product at all in the early days. We were just like, uh, so August happens. We get these 38. I think by the end of it, we had pretty much decided that we were going to pivot but we had a lot of work to do before we could release this generally. Um, we, it grew to 68 pretty naturally. These were just people who were like, yeah, my coworker saw what I have and really wants it. Can you add them? And we're like, you know, like, fine. Um, that'll be fine. November, we launched a public wait list. We were expecting about 500 signups. We posted on Hacker News. Um, we ended up with about 3,500 signups overnight. And I remember that day was super exciting. We had hooked wow. it up such that our Slack buzzed every time we got a sign up. And especially just by the evening, it was just like, bzz, 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 and we were like, <laughs> what is happening? This is so cool. <laughs> and, and that led us then, uh, that, that led us through a lot of growth until the beginning of the year, uh, which is when we were pretty sure this was the right direction. By then we had grown far past sort of Facebook. That was, that was a wonderful initial cohort for us. They, they shared a language. The features that they wanted was clear. A lot of them wanted the same exact features that we were used to. Um, but eventually we learned to speak the language of Googlers and then people who had been at Twitter, Uber, whatever. Um, and then, uh, we kept growing. So anyway, that, that's the short version. Uh, we raised a round of funding, uh, early, early this year from Andreessen. We raised about $20 million. Awesome. Uh, we are working on making the product experience really, really phenomenal. We're still behind a wait list because we really want to make sure it's perfect for, right. before we release it, uh, generally, but we're hoping to do that sometime next year. That's cool that, um, you know, that experience at Facebook, it also allowed for this kind of almost like this product validation uh, uh, as well. So, um, yeah, really, it's funny. Uh, I think it's the, the internal tool at a big company to a startup is certainly a tried and true path. And it makes it it's, it's funny to tell this story now in retrospect, because I remember I went to Facebook to quote learn real software engineering. And I think one of the things I did learn was like, how, how can code review like be different? Because I think a lot of people it. I'm very fortunate in the team we have now. As I said earlier, we have about 15 people. I think everyone here is very thoughtful around the process. And we come from, we come from all sorts of different companies. Uh, we come from Shopify and Mongo, Adobe, Google. Um, and it's cool, to, it's cool to have a lot of people in the room who... We, we do code review all the time, right? Every day. 
But what's funny is the conversations you'll hear in the office is like, you haven't reviewed my PR. And then it's like, how could the product make this easier to do, right? Like it's, mm-hmm. a, it's, a, it's a meta thoughtfulness to the process that we're doing day in and day out of like, oh, we had an incident. How could we have caught that in code review? Why didn't the product do that for me? Uh, and so it's this, it's this meta analysis of engineering as a discipline. Ultimate dog fooding. Hey, startup techies. Has this podcast inspired you to explore a new startup career opportunity? Then make sure to check out myhatchpad.com slash jobs to browse startups by stage, tech stack, and salary. So Yasef, um, you know, you've, you've been a multi startup founder. Um, however, your exposure in, in big tech environments aside from, you know, looked like a few internships with companies like Square and Facebook was, is actually a little bit more minimal. Uh, so I, I love to hear from your perspective on, you know, maybe why did you elect to bypass a, a longer term journey with one of these bigger companies and instead kind of jump into your own thing? Yeah, totally. Can you guys hear me, by the way? Yeah, it was uh, (laughs) struggling, technology struggling a little bit. Um, Yeah, you know, so I I think I had, you know, actually, funnily enough, like pretty similar experience to Tomas in terms of like, I actually really did enjoy my time at at the bigger companies um, during the the short stints I did there. Um, And I think my motivation for leaving was actually pretty different. So, you know, I spent time at at Square and at Facebook and, and it was cool. It was cool to see how productive people could be in an environment where there was all this tooling built for them. And that's one of the things I really love about Graphite and what Tomas and them are working on now is that they're kind of democratizing access to the that amazing tooling that you normally only have access to at a really big company. Um, and so that was definitely a, an enjoyable experience. I think for me, the answer is a lot simpler. I just, I, like, I'm not a very good employee. And so I... <laughs> As, as anyone who's worked with me will attest to. Um, and, and I just, it, it was very hard for me to be motivated. Um, you know, I'm the kind of person where if I'm going to work on something, I'm going to like pour everything into it. And it's very hard for me to be motivated by doing that um, kind of towards someone else's goals. Um, and so for me, it became almost like, how do I recreate some of those like really amazing environments that experience the bigger companies, you know, at my own companies on my own teams. I remember my my first company um, out of grad school was a, was a healthcare company um, with a with a friend who had worked at Google before, and I remember the two of us were were always trying to think like, oh, like we did this at Google, how can we bring that in? Or we did this at Square, we let's try to do that. Or like this didn't work at Facebook, how do we prevent that? Um, and so I think it was even just those few years of experience, the bigger company seeing what works and what doesn't work, really inspired what we were bringing to kind of the culture and the, and the tools uh, of our earlier stage companies. Uh, but I think it was kind of like a, a trial and error process, right? Because some things kind of translate and some things don't. And and I wish there had been more more tools like Graphite around to kind of help with that transition because we were kind of building all of these things from scratch, uh, as was mm. every other startup we knew who had people from a bigger company. Mm-hmm. Let's peel that back a little bit more. So you're saying like some things that translate and some things that don't. I think those are some of those things that I, I want to. Uh, I want to dissect a little bit. So what off the top of your head, I mean, you, you talked a little bit about like some of those like processes and tool access to those tooling processes and things, but uh, yeah. So Yasef, yeah. What were some of those things that you feel you felt like, you know, translated over into startup world? And then what are those things that maybe like, you know, you'd want to drop? Uh, so as I, think, a, I think I kind of split into two pieces, like the, the tooling and the process on the tooling side. I think almost everything 
we had experienced at Facebook, at Square, at Google would have been useful in a smaller environment. Like a lot of the automation, a lot of the, hey, you can just push some code and it magically gets everywhere it needs to be. And you don't have to worry about how that happens. And all the like, you know, automations around like, hey, you forgot to test this or hey, you should go find this person and sign off on this. Like oh, a lot of that stuff around whether it was code review or, or deployment or anything else was super helpful. And I think would have translated well to the earlier days of the company. I think the trap we fell into there is it was really tempting to try to go recreate and rebuild all of that because in our heads, it was like, oh, the only productive, the only environment we know that's been really productive is the environment with all of these different tools. And so let's go like, you know, build a completely automated CICD process from day one. Let's go build a bunch of like, you know, code review bots, go build a bunch of Slack bots. And as it turns out, a lot of that stuff is a like not the most important thing to be building when you have like three months of runway left and you're like struggling to stay alive as a company. And B, you know, and this is a motivation for both, you know, Sim and Graphite. It's the same stuff everyone else is building at their early stage companies. It kind of feels like a waste. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was kind of the the tooling side. And then uh, on the, on the uh, kind of process side, I think two mistakes that early founders kind of make. Uh, One is, oh, this this was such a great, you know, practice at, you know, insert big company here. So we should do that as well right away here. And I think one of the like big dangers of a research company when you have this later stage experience is introducing like too much process, right? So it was so tempting. We started our first company to be like, okay, we got to hire like all these different people to lead these departments because like Square had ahead of each of these departments. Right. And like, we need a full HR process and, and like, all, you know, all this stuff. Um, and, and it really like, it, it makes it really easy to kind of like play house, right? Like you spend more time like, like doing things you think a company should have than actually building your company. In reality, a pre-seed company is like a few people in a room, you know, doing everything they can to make sure the company sees the light of day tomorrow. And, and there's no time to kind of play house, but it's very tempting to do when you start borrowing these, these processes from bigger companies. So I think the, the good learning there was like, keep that stuff in mind, but introduce it when appropriate, which is actually a pretty hard thing to gauge. Um, and Tomas, I'm sure you guys have seen this as well. And then the flip side of it is there's some really awesome things uh, that would be amazing to bring, but like you don't realize how intentionally some of these companies have worked to build a culture supporting it. Mm-hmm. So a great example I could think of is that Square, it's kind of like email transparency process where like almost all the emails from the execs uh, would get like auto forwarded these different mailing lists. Oh, interesting. So you could, I don't know if they still do this, but it's really cool. I was there pre IPO. And if you were curious about like, what anyone high up at the company was kind of spending their day on, you could literally go read their emails. Um, and it was like, it was wild practice of kind of like radical transparency, but it really helped people feel more connected in the loop. And I mean, it seemed like an awesome idea. Like everyone enjoyed it so much. Uh, we tried doing that at Gruna, my, my first company. And I mean, it was a disaster because we realized like you have to be very thoughtful about like keeping your audience in mind when you're writing those emails. And you have to have a culture where there's just such high trust right. uh, where you keep that. And it turns out that like the three people you hired yesterday that, you know, have never worked with you before right. aren't exactly in that high trust mode from day one. And so it was one of those things that felt so effortless when you see it working. But when you try to recreate it yourself, you realize, oh, this, this is like a multi-year process to get there. 
Yeah, there's certain things in like those early stages that just, you know, they got to be a little more discreet about, right? Because, you know, there's a level of uh, setting expectations and then there's like, you know, what's really happening as well. Um, you know, you, there could be certain things that, you know, people would run for the hills if they if they knew like specifics on finances or something, right? And it's well, like... Yeah, actually, I, I want to push back on that a little bit because I think I, I'm... And I'm curious to get Tomas's take on this too, but I'm, I'm actually a really big fan of being as transparent as possible with that stuff in the early days. I find it actually does breed a lot of trust. And like, you know, if there's like secrets, like dark secrets, people are going to find them. I'd rather be upfront about them. So I think it's less about not being transparent about some of those scary things, uh, more about uh, what is the right way to present them so that someone has all the context. Because I think it's very easy to kind of like mention something ad hoc or kind of like, assuming everyone has shared context and the people hearing that could like really misunderstand mm-hmm. right so like using your example like there could be something that's kind of scary with the finances but like you know kind of scary to me is like we only have 12 months of runway right and it's scary and be like oh my god we're gonna run out of money next week right, right. and so i think it, more about like making sure people have the right context when you share that stuff as one example of things that like you really have to spend time building a culture around sure and some of those things like you kind of screen for to you know if you're coming to a startup it's like yeah you kind of want to be you know aware that there's risk here right there's might not be the most cushion comfortable from a financial perspective otherwise you know you maybe be at facebook here um but uh but yeah i i I do want to um get uh uh, tomas's input on this as well yeah so tomas um some some of those things that you felt like you needed to kind of unlearn uh, coming from Facebook into uh, into the startup world. Well, first, I'm going to answer your transparency question. Then I'm going to come come back to that one. So transparency, I think uh, my two cents on this one is I think in the early days, uh, actually, there's like very little in the facts I think was scary. I think like we we made a good policy of open door from the beginning of like, yeah, like if you want to understand anything we can legally share, we're happy to. The like one exception to that being like your coworkers' salaries, I, I don't think we can legally tell you. Um, but like the rest of it, yeah, we're happy to talk around sort of like how we think about the company, how conversations with investors are going, what people are telling us. The thing I felt we had to, um, learn to do in terms of communication transparency was, uh, disagree productively because imagine working with your friends and like, uh, this is your baby, right? Like this, this is the project that all of you care more about than anything else in your life. And so, and like, you're working in a high ambiguity space. And so you're going to come up with these tensions of like, well, like we could do X or we could do Y. And to all of you, it feels like the most important decision that you can make. I think one of the things that we've uh, learned, which is uh, for better or for worse, is like uh, a healthy level of apathy where we've learned, I think like it used to be the case that every decision was the most important decision we were about to make. So every decision was so high stakes. And these days there are a lot of decisions we make candidly where we're like, probably doesn't matter. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, like it, it'll affect something, but most things are recoverable. And so it's like, eh, like it's, it's fine. Like take a stab, we'll see what happens and then we can yeah. move from there. Uh, and, and learning to take things with that like level of removedness or, or perhaps it's just wisdom has uh, really changed some things. Um, anyway, to answer your now original question of what have I had to unlearn? You know, it's actually really funny to me in that I think the, so when I joined Facebook, I joined a team of six. That team grew to 30 with me um, as I as sort of like the, the scope of the team grew, what we were doing grew on it. Um, and that's a lot closer to our Series A than it is our seed. 
So our Series A, we started with six people. We're planning to grow to 39 by the end of next year. Uh, we're now, if you've ever been in this space, we're, uh, as I said earlier, we're at 15 people. We're just now starting to have this conversation of like, how do we split into teams or mm-hmm. pods, which is a conversation I vividly remember having at Facebook. And what's funny to me is like the, it, it, in many ways, it feels easier to me if I had started here because I clearly see the parallels of like, oh, this is how we did this at Facebook. This is what might make sense at a startup. And this is what, what doesn't make sense at a startup and what we should change. The seed was entirely different. The seed was this game of working and sort of, we describe it as like hunting through the fog of trying to figure out like, okay, do we have product market fit? The, to building a team, or as Yasef said, like finding new heads of whatever position is not the relevant thing. Right. And so there was so much more to learn there. And I think we benefited immensely from the fact that Merrill had done that before. So I think Greg and I both came from larger companies, uh, Facebook and Airbnb. We came in and we were like, yeah, of course we need to, as you also said, like set up all of these processes because every productive company I've had has had like productive whatever, uh, has had automated CI. And of course you need automated CI in order to find product market fit. And I think that um, when, when you've done it before, when you've seen that, you're like, no, 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 that's not what matters. <laughs> like, let's focus on finding users that give any shit about what we're doing. And then we can go ahead and set this all up. And so there's a there's a part of me which reflects on that. It's it's nice though because I've had the I've had the advantage of not having to think about this alone. As I said, I hired two of my old coworkers, and so we regularly ask sort of like, what what's different? Um, a few a few beats which keep coming up. One is I think uh, everyone will agree with you at an earlier stage company. You learn more. Just like there, the, you have to do it. People used to ask me like, well, where does the space for like mentorship or teaching happen at a startup? And my truthful answer is like. I would ask the same question of a big company because I feel at a big company, it's like, we have this big project and we need someone who's senior or staff in order to do it. And so we have this pool of E5s and E6s that we'll pull from. At a startup, it's like, who's going to do this big product? And we're like, we only have you in the room. So you're going to do the big project. And we're going to throw everything we have to make sure that you can do this big project because otherwise we're screwed. It's It's learning too, right? Like at a startup, every new thing you take on is necessarily sink or swim because if it's if it's not like super crucial you wouldn't be working on it right whereas a lot of things at bigger companies where it's like yeah this would be great if we did this but it's not gonna be company ending if we mess it up right right? yeah i think it it like it forces you to to learn on a much deeper curve because you literally don't have a choice and focus on what's you know really actionable and important to the the company at large so um one of the traps we've seen um you know with with hiring for for instance uh and it's always an interesting pivot once you hit like the um you know say like that 15 to 30 uh headcount mark is um you know this title of vp of engineering right you usually think like okay there's a cto uh there's that next layer is that vp but when when you really need a vp is is oftentimes later on down the line where what you really need in those earlier stages is somebody who's actually really hands on and not this big inflated title that is, you know, just kind of running the show. Um, I I've seen it as well where, um, you know, just because you were one of like the OG hires uh, that came in doesn't necessarily mean that you should still be like that VP when that time's right. You might not have those skills that translate to the company when it's at that larger stage. And that can be a tricky thing to navigate. I don't know if you guys have, have seen that before, but those are some things that we've seen as an interesting like growth, growth hurdle. 
Yeah, I believe I, that. Go ahead. Go ahead, Yasef. I was going to say, as someone who spent the better part of last year hiring a VPE, I probably have some thoughts on this. <laughs> um, I think a couple of things. I think one, that, like echoing what Tomas said earlier, this this is another one of those things where like it's so much easier the second time around. Yeah. Like, like there's all these things you realize, like basic mistakes to to avoid. And I mean, a lot of the time I spend now is like angel investing and advising early founders. And I feel like a lot of that time is just spent telling them like, this thing doesn't matter. This thing doesn't matter. Right. <laughs> like Tomas Ford has like kind of learned apathy. The, the way my team like describe it is uh, make reversible decisions quickly. Right. So anything that's not like a, stuck in stone just like do it and fix it later kind of thing um now i think vp hiring is one of those where that's not the case uh you you really have to be very intentional about it i i, I think at this point from what i've seen there I, I think there very clearly is like a startup vpe like definition of a role that it's like a very good role to exist and i think like it's its own thing from like a vp at a bigger company i think you run into trouble when people say like I need a VPE when they really just need, like, for example, an engine manager, mm -hmm. right? They're just like, I have too many reports, they go hire a VPE. Mm -hmm. Or on the flip side, when, when they actually do need a VPE, but they need like a startup VPE, and they just go find someone with the title of VP at a bigger company and assume it's the same role, right? So I think it's like, there's some of these things where like, there should probably be a better title for the startup version, but like, startup VPE actually is a thing these days, I think now. And, and it's often people who are kind of like, you know, senior engine managers, or like directors, at uh, at bigger companies, maybe they have like one line of managers under them between them and the ICs, right? And and I think again, like at startups, like that person, I think really just has two jobs, right? One is like make sure we are like getting the absolute most of the team we have, and two is like make sure we're growing that team as fast as we possibly can, right? In the early days, that's going to be the job of the founders, but at some point, especially as a tech company, as your engineering team starts scaling and you're hiring a lot of ICs. You know, CEO can't be, you know, recruiting from start to finish every engineer. I think that's the point you're bringing a VPE in. And you say, like, you're like, like, I don't care. You're not worried about the product. Like, you're, like your product is the engineering team, right? And what I care about is like maximal efficiency and like growing it as fast as possible and getting creative on how to do that. I think when you need to like outsource that part of your job, a startup VP is a great person to hire. Mm -hmm. You know, when it's more concerns around like, in, you know, management of individuals or, or like, you know, thinking about the product, the roadmap or anything, I think we'll often jump to that kind of VP hire. But I, but I agree in, in those cases, while those might be the responsibility of a VP at a bigger company, it's, it's, it's the wrong hire to make at this stage. You know, this actually gets back to a thing, the a different question you asked, which was um, difference between startups and uh, bigger companies. One of the things which I always thought was interesting at bigger companies was there was always a ladder, like there was always a run book, right? It's like, Prob this problem has emerged. This is the, how we solve it at this company. Um, and so you, you, I think one of the things that you spend a lot of time doing at an early stage company is you're like, this problem has emerged. We don't know how to solve it. Here are many ways we may solve it. And then there's a question of, I joke about this with like, we have a community Slack of about 8,000 developers right now. Uh, we get a lot of support questions in there. Like, hey, the product doesn't do X or I want to do Y. And we have this option of like, do we move to a better system for 8,000 people? Do we hire someone to do this? Do we do whatever? I think that VPEs and eng managers are, are a very similar thing where at, at a big company, it's like, we have a new org of 100 or 200 people. It needs a director. We will now promote and or find a director. Uh, you don't see that uh, at a start. At a start, you kind of need to like figure out what that is for yourself. 
Uh, thing number two, which I think was very interesting, which is different, is that uh, at least at Facebook, um, uh, if you made a big enough fire, so for example, like if you had enough people that didn't have a manager, there would literally be a team spun up to solve this problem, right? Like someone would eventually be like, there's scope and impact in solving this problem. I'm going to go solve it. And so it would just like emerge from some other part of the org and you wouldn't really know where it came from, but it would solve the problem. That is not true to start up. If you make a big enough fire, the house burns down. That's just, that's how it works, right? It's like fire burned down. And so I think learning how to, learning how to navigate uh, that and being like, oh, wow, my decisions have real impacts have been one of the bigger learnings of a startup is like, I think at a big company, you can be shielded from a lot of this. If you can make a lot of poor decisions and other parts of the org will sort of like carry the weight. Uh, I think that is made incredibly evident to you at a startup. Yeah. I like the the notion of like a bigger company just by like scale is like more like an efficient market. Like anywhere you find alpha in like, you know, scope or impact to be had, someone dives in. Whereas like a startup is like, you know, it's like six people sitting in a room is not really enough to make an efficient market. So like, things there's no one to fill those gaps and if they don't get handled like Tomas out of the company just blows up Tomas, you also brought up a point uh in our previous intro call of like you know for folks that have maybe only worked in startups it's tougher for them to let go of, of ownership and and be able to delegate right like i think that's something that you pick up on facebook it's like you can you got a lot of folks you can delegate to but um for owners or or you know tech leaders it's tough to, to have that, you know, you got to have that trust to be able to say like, yeah, you're right. This is time for you to take over this task. You know, it's funny. I think that there's a lot of, I think in startup land, there's a lot of hate towards big companies. Perhaps it's just our own DNA. We, we actually really love people that used to work at big companies because we think that there's a lot of good they bring to the table. I Some of them for it's us. A, it's a necessary hate because like, if you're not spending all your time dumping on big companies, how are you ever going to hire people who are thinking about going there? <laughs> Some of them end up being like a, there's a strong incentive for like the startup community in general to be like, no, no, big companies suck. Don't go work there. Come work for us. Right. Possibly. Yeah. But I think one of the, you're pointing out one of the, there are a few things I've noticed from big companies that I like. One of them is I think that people who have been in startups their entire career have a strong aversion to process. And as you also said, you should lazy load process, but that does mean eventually it gets introduced. Right. And the, the startup folk, I think, uh, at least the people I've worked with who have only been at startups are like, we should never have a process here. Or if they do need to have a process, they don't know what it should look like. Um, for one of the ones which I think we think a lot about is like, what is our North Star for um, on-call, right? Or hiring or something like this. These are companies that if you've come from a big company, you hear this and you're like, we have a wiki page about how to do that, right? Yeah, and if you've only been a startup, you're like, I don't, we, you just kind of do what feels right. And so the value of process there is interesting. Um, the second one I think is, so having that like North Star, both in like, what should we have for tooling? What should we have for process? What should we have for workflows? Whatever you have. Um, I think the other one, which I think is very interesting is I think at a big company, a lot of the time you've had a lot more time to be a lot, uh, very thoughtful about these processes. And to start up, it really, I, I, this is common wisdom. Everything feels a little hair on fire all the time. And so finding those people who have been like, no, 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 I've actually had a lot of time to be thoughtful around how we should architect systems or how we should uh, hire people or how we should do whatever is really, really valuable and, and hard to find the space to do at a startup. Cool. Totally agree. I, think I do that, take a little bit of exception with some of that. Uh, we were yeah. talking about startup VP. I finally get to talk because uh, we've yeah. been having some audio. <laughs> um, I think this is the first time I've said anything since the pairing. Um, <laughs> because I, I mean, I've spent most of my career in, uh, in, at, in startups, um, VP of, you know, VP of engineering startups. And what I've learned is the I agree that a lot of people who've only spent their time in startups struggle with process. Um, 
I actually think that there's a lot of people who are in startups and look at companies like Google and others and like, well, that's what they do. That's what we should be doing. Mm -hmm. And so they want to take these big company processes, even though they've never even worked at the big company and try (laughs) to apply them at the small company. Right. And then similarly, um, you know, the ones, the people I've worked with in startups for a long period of time. And I think this is where, you know, getting back to what a startup VP of engineering looks like. They've sort of, they've been at startups. They've been, they've been there. They've known that. So I came in, I come in with a playbook on what interviewing should look like at this stage, the zero to five stage. This is what our hiring kind of should look like in our interview process. As we grow, we should have this type of process. And I think that if you can find the right people with that background, you're, you're great. And I, and I agree that they're hard to find. I'm not suggesting in any way that they are like a dime a dozen. But at the same time, I, I don't know that I necessarily agree that it's a big company thing, small company thing. I think there's just some people who have a very pragmatic approach to process, who see it as a tool and scale it. And then there's others that like glom on to whatever or, you know, so. So I think you're totally right. I think you're totally right. I think I, no, no, I actually think you're like super right about this. But I think where that comes from is you stay at a startup long enough to see the uh, the impacts of your decisions. So you make a decision, you make it wrong, you learn from it. And I think if you've spent like even three months at a big company, you osmosis a lot of that because the history is written down for you. It's like, why do we interview this way? Well, we tried these other ways. This is how they failed for us. And so you can learn from their mistakes as opposed mm-hmm. to. Uh, I think the people at startups have had to like learn from their own or or stay there for long enough to see the see the value right i think it's kind of like it's almost summed up summed up in a way of like the benefit of being the bigger company is not necessarily seeing exactly what their process is you can mimic it but it's, it's seeing what good looks like so you know what that looks like when you achieve that or what you should aspire to at your own company right like it's not necessarily google does this and therefore we should do it but it's more like oh like when google's shit was really working this is what it felt like like that doesn't feel like it when you added this process here. So like clearly this is not the right fit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and the, other, the other piece of that is, you know, like it's also to Tomas's point, people have worked only at startups their whole life. Like sometimes they don't see the value of those things. So they've never seen, you know, it's like, they got like someone who's never had a good manager will like be like, Oh, like managers are useless. Like, you know, it's like they never benefit anyone. You, you just haven't seen what good management can do. Right. So I think it's similar. Like if you've never, seen these things be functional it's very easy to just write it off and be like yeah big companies are all horribly inefficient because like i've never seen any process that works well right and so i think that there is some value in in being able to see oh actually like the right tool applied at the right time can be helpful uh Yasef, have you um when you were i guess maybe weighing options on you know working for a bigger company at one point you know what were what were the things that you were taking in, into consideration in terms of comparing like facebook versus you know, google or or anything in particular that jumped out to you yeah it's funny because this is a lesson i had to relearn in startup land but i think i had figured out in big company land which is like it's all about the people right like you can find interesting challenges and in basically anything you work on like bigger companies have enough variance that like there's always like some team that you're going to find exciting or some subject area that's going to be interesting, something you need to learn. Um, but I think, I mean, something I took for granted until I, I was the one who had to hire my entire team is like when you're going to a big company, you actually get to pick the people you're working with and know that before you agree to work with them, which is like such an incredible like thing, right? Now the lives Tomas and I live, it's like, we hire someone and we think we know what it's like to work with them, but don't actually know until we start. And so I think 
being able to really be picky about the people you choose to work with and the team you surround yourself with is is all I was really thinking about those bigger companies. And it's all I would recommend anyone really focus on is like you have the chance to be very picky about these people, like take advantage of that. And what about like the um the team that you wanted to work with? Is it kind of what you're alluding to? Like one of the one of the the founders that we had on previously on this topic said that they were able to work on a very specific project that they knew was going to be applicable to the next startup they started. And so they wanted to get that specific exposure. And that's why they, you know, they elected I've to go down a certain path. I'm a little bit skeptical of that. I mean, I guess there's like, you know, me, yeah, there's definitely some world where like you work on something specific and then you go spin out a company that is exactly like that. And you know, there's a few popular Silicon Valley, you know, growth stage companies I can think of that are exactly that. Mm-hmm. Um, but more often, I think it's like what happened with, with Tomas and the Graphite team, where it's like they weren't working on the code review tools of Facebook, but they got exposed to them. And, and that kind of like inspired something, right? Or in, in with lots of other companies, there was some process or some problem they got exposed to at scale. I, I'm not actually sure that the process of being very intentional, of like I'm going to go work on exactly as teams. I want to start a company that solves exactly this problem is actually that practical most of the time. Like starting companies just are rarely that intentional. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm not. Uh, Tomas, did. Uh, thank you. I, I, I've said this before. I'm always very skeptical of uh, people I hear who are leaving a company are like, I know what I'm going to do and we're not going to have to pivot. That, yeah. that to me is like, oh, cool, you haven't done this before. Um, <laughs> like, uh, I, I, I. Disaster. It's like, like, there's nothing more dangerous than a founder who's like a little bit too emotionally attached to the thing that they haven't actually proven anyone wants right it's like mm-hmm. even more dangerous than like the build it and they will come founder because this one is like like this founder will actively ignore signs from the market that this is like not a thing you should be spending time on and i think it's such a good way for like really smart people to waste a lot of time you need you need some level of that right of like the the blind ambition or some some level of willing to take a leap mm-hmm. but, but i don't agree with you like blind obsession with a particular direction yeah right? Yeah, I think, and I mean, to be fair, like we definitely fell into this trap. We were like, I, we were like, we've totally validated this idea. I just remember, early, I remember our seed stage pitch being like, this is totally validated. We don't need, like, we're good to go. We understand it. And I think our wiser investors were always like, uh huh, like definitely. Um, and it, you kind of, you kind of see it as you play out. Of I think I've come around to I think the only validation that matters is is if you had val- if you had all the validation you want you would already be making revenue at right. scale. Yeah. And anything short of that, you don't have the validation. Yeah. You're working towards it. Right. Although you did make a really good point there. Like, I feel like the one caveat to us is when you're fundraising, you have to believe that like, this is the hill to die on and you will die on it. And this is the most brilliant yeah. idea ever. And you're the perfect team to build it. I feel like it's one of those unspoken things where like, if you're a good founder, you obviously know that's not strictly true. If you're a good investor, you obviously know it's not strictly true. You kind of have to play this game where both of you really believe it to get over the line of like, you know, handing a few million dollars to like three people, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah. Cool. Uh, well, I do want to, um, I do want to kind of put a bow on it here and, and uh, transition us into this final segment. Cause it's uh, coming up on that hour. So um, let's go ahead and, uh, and, and make this pivot. So we're, we're rolling out this new segment called five second scramble. Um, so I'm going to ask each of you just a series of questions and you give me your response within five seconds. It's kind of like a rapid fire Q and a, um, some will be business, some personal. Um, I'm going to start with you, Yasif. 
so uh, as a founder leader of a startup, what is the number one thing that you would say that keeps you up at night? There, there's a term for this. I forget what it is. Basically, the idea that like as CEO or as founder, it's always your job to look over the next horizon of the company. So every time you accomplish something as a company, well, everyone else is celebrating. It's your job to say, okay, what's the next thing we have to do? But like the result of that is you're always feeling like you're behind because like you're the person who knows what has to come next. And so it's this constant struggle where you never feel like you're keeping up and you always feel like as a company you're behind. And I think that I struggle with a lot because you kind of have to like live with that and use the learnings from that while not like stressing everyone else out, you know, and that's, I, that tension definitely keeps me up at night. Cool. What's the number one trait you look for in people when hiring to a startup? Ooh. I think if you had asked me that a few years ago, I would have said something around like grit or hustle or like just like uh, whatever the opposite of like helplessness is, you know, like, <laughs> like they'll, they'll just solve the problem. Um, I think if you were to ask me today, I would actually say like, like a kindness and a willing to invest in the people around you. I think like the best people I've hired are not 10 of 10 engineers who like really hustle. Those people are great. Best people I've hired are the ones who, you know, 10x the entire team every time they enter a room. Um, those are the kind of people I want to be hiring in the early stage. Cool. like that. What's more important to you, meaningful work or more compensation? Uh, I feel like that's a... I mean, that, <laughs> if, if any of us cared about conversation, we would not be doing the jobs <laughs> we're doing right now. So I think the answer to that one's pretty obvious. <laughs> uh, favorite country you've ever traveled to? Ooh, that's a really tricky one. Um, I was in Malaysia recently and had some like like some of the best street food in my life. So I think yes. Malaysia is the top currently. But if you ask me that question next month, it'll probably change. Most disgusting food item you've ever eaten? Uh, in Iceland, they have fermented whale, and it's like <laughs> one of the national dishes. And it's one of those things where everyone's like, "Oh, every country has like some gross dish, and like, or it seems gross, and you try it, and it's not that bad." But fermented whale is actually like truly terrible. Sorry to any. Icelandic people listening. I like I that's barely sat on my stomach for like two seconds before it came right back out. (laughs) Just throw a little Frank's red hot on it and yeah. (laughs) um, Favorite app on your phone. Oh. Oh man, I gotta open my phone and look. I don't know. (laughs) I don't use my phone often enough now. Um I am probably superhuman because it lets me feel a tiny bit less stressed when I'm going through my emails, but uh, I think it's a pretty weak answer. I don't know. Um, cool. All right. Well, let's jump over to you now, Tomas. Um, we'll start with uh, what problems are you solving at Graphite? Code review for fast-moving teams. Who are your users? Uh, any developer. What type of engineer thrives at Graphite? Uh, people who are looking to people who are thoughtful around the developer workflow and uh, looking to solve hard problems. What's your favorite aspect of working at Graphite? Oh God, uh, probably the people. I, I love the team. It's uh, one of our teammates said it really well recently. Of, it's very rare to work at a company where you one, know everyone and two, like everyone. That's the right answer. What is uh, the number one trait you look for in a co-founder? Oh, good question. Um, I think this, I think, uh, gosh. 
I think some some level of ambition here still. I, I it's it's hard. It's some it's somewhere between ambition and like kind. I would never found with a non-friend, and then among my friends, I think it's ambition. Yeah. But the like the the friendship is definitely the first the first one. Trust is probably the real answer. That trust is a good one. Um, yeah, I was gonna say, do you think it's actually friendship, or is it more like mutual respect? For us, I think it's a form of trust. It's the it's the trust that you have that like extends past work, right? Like I think there's something really powerful of like you know my co-founders and I maybe have a disagreement or don't see eye to eye on something. Mm-hmm. And the fact that we can be like, you know, let's hang out as friends and like yeah, yeah, put this down and come back to this later yep. uh, is the most critical thing. Um, and it's you can have that with people you have mutual respect with who aren't necessarily your friends. But it, but there is some level of like trust and willing to put it downness. Like that, that's hard to find out. this together no matter yeah. what. Right? Yeah. Yeah, we're actually going to run an episode on that because it's called the co-founder connection. Because I think it's so interesting too, if you look at like companies that have just one like two co-founders and then some that have four or five right like is there more disputes or what you know what what uh is more better um favorite city in the u.s Ooh, boston where i grew up you prefer your terrible choice (laughs) 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 you um prefer your eggs fried or scrambled fried favorite disney character a good one uh i don't know if i have a good one right now uh i i'm like i'm really struggling on this one. who's my favorite <laughs> disney character drawing from that so uh tarzan was my favorite movie so i'll give you that okay. for now we'll take we'll take tarzan yes if what's your favorite character though or someone else i don't know oh, this is a good one this while you're thinking i, I like i i feel like the character I like the most of all the movies is probably Simba. But if I had to be like, which movie did I actually see the most as a child? It was Tarzan. I used to watch that like every other day when I was three. Yeah. So <laughs> there's, there's that. Yasif, what's your answer? I think um, Mr. Potato Head from Toy Story. <laughs> like, his life seems pretty great, you know? It <laughs> <laughs> um, sounds like a pretty good life. Yeah, I'm a big Aladdin yeah. fan. Uh, oh, Aladdin's not a bad one either. Yeah, uh, I, I, you know what? I can change my answer to Aladdin. I feel like like Aladdin. <laughs> I'm always getting come troubles. on, join the, the Aladdin fan fan party. Yeah. Um, I, I want to end my earlier answer, but my favorite uh, app on my phone. So I've recently been getting really into this new kind of second brain note taking app called Mem, and I strongly recommend everyone check it out. It is really cool. I don't know if you if you got to like try to use Roam or any of these other kind of like uh note-taking apps but mem is like finally the one i've been searching for for many many years and it has been life-changing sweet wrote it down cool i think uh i think that's everything mike did you uh have any other uh anything you wanted to say you got about two words in uh this uh, episode no that's been good it's uh my my i guess um for my next one will be podcasts and uh and and silence uh will be my next (laughs) yeah Yeah. that was uh this has been by far the um the most interesting uh uh, recording as far as like the shuffle of, of folks yeah. um again musical I, I, chairs yeah, <laughs> yeah. um well thanks, interesting thanks for uh thanks for joining us guys it's been really helpful uh super interesting stuff and uh yeah we're excited to push it live sweet all right cheers guys thanks for taking time cheers
Are you a startup founder or tech leader looking to grow your engineering or product teams? If so, Hatch IT could be a partner worth exploring. We've helped hundreds of startups scale their tech teams with relational and marketing-driven recruiting solutions. Check out hatchit.io hire to learn more about how we can help your teams grow.